Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHMLP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything, yes, everything, in racing that happened in the last week. We'll discuss the latest news and cap it all off with a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome everybody to Speed Zone on this Wednesday night. I'm Ben Cowart. It's a pleasure to be with you. And man, was it a weekend in racing. It's going to be a spicy show tonight. We got a lot to cover from this past weekend at Circuit of the Americas and all over the world of motorsports. A lot happened today also. There was some penalties that were announced. There's plenty of news to discuss from this past Sunday and weekend at large. Oh my goodness, we got a jam-packed show for you tonight. We got two excellent men on the panel tonight, and it's going to be one heck of a discussion because we got a lot of spicy things to talk about. I keep on saying the word spicy because you know what? Tonight's show is going to have a lot of flavor. All right, without any further ado, I don't know, I didn't say that right. Let's just get right into Flag to Flag. Welcome to Flag to Flag, a recap of the week that was in motorsports, as Ben Cower covers everything you might have missed in this past week of racing action. Yeah, it's me, uh, Ben Cower. I'm back. Uh, you just heard me. Now I'm back. Now it's flag to flag. Let's jump right into it. Let's start out with the truck series at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, and it was after a long battle. Again, it was Zane Smith taking home the victory and lighting up the field for yet another win at Circuit of the Americas. His second consecutive in his 38 truck for Front Row Motorsports. By the way, it's, Front Row is 3 for 3 at Circuit of the Americas in the truck series. Todd Gilland won the inaugural event. Three, uh, three events ago. And when I say he lit up the field, he lit up his truck too. He had such a fiery burnout after winning that he set the rear of his truck on fire in the front stretch. Smith led 16 of 42 laps and bested, eh, you know, just nobody, Kyle Busch, uh, who finished second. Ford driver Ty Majeski finished third. Tyler Ankrum was fourth. And last year's NASCAR Cup Series Circuit of the Americas winner Ross Chastain and his niece number 41 Chevrolet rounded out the top five. Chastain exchanged the lead for much of the early race with Bush, uh, combining lead 22 laps between them. And uh, Smith was able to take the lead after pitting just before the final caution and getting track position. It was a very untimely caution for Bush, and Chastain's truck actually fell back to 28th for the final restart, and Bush's was 17th. Yet they both rallied to top five finishes. Now on to the Xfinity Series, also at Coda. And A.J. Allmendinger started on pole, but had to rough up his competition to take home the victory. The 46 laps in between, excuse me, the green and checkered flags, however, were full of emotional highs and lows for Allmendinger, who led 14 laps to start the race and the final 14 laps to close it out. The series' all-time road course winner earned his 11th road course trophy and 16th career Xfinity Series win, despite having to navigate through the field after falling back to 25th place during mid-race green flag pit stops. Sheldon Creed led late, looking for his first Xfinity Series win, but Almendinger made a dramatic push forward on the final restart to go from 6th to 1st with 14 laps remaining and took the lead after a spirited battle with Creed, who got spun out by Almendinger after contact between the two. 
Creed was used up again and again spun as Almeninger took home the victory after intense pressure from William Byron, running the race for Hendrick in the 17 car. Now on to the Cup Series in the Circuit of the Americas, and after a abysmal start to the season, Tyler Reddick has reeled off three straight top 10 finishes and put an exclamation point on his switch this offseason over to 2311 Racing with a dominant victory at Circuit of the Americas. Reddick appeared to be in his own zip code on Sunday, with the only cars being blips on his radar, being the 24 of William Byron and defending Circuit of the Americas race winner Ross Chastain. Reddick and Byron's number 24 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet combined to lead 69 of the race's 75 laps, with Reddick out front a race best 41. Reddick had to best a field of two Formula One world champions in it, with Jensen Button making his cup debut and Kimi Raikkonen running yet again for Trackhouse in the 91. Multi-time IMSA Series champion Jordan Taylor also filled in for Chase Elliott in the 9 car, qualifying well, but aggressive racing shuffled the ringers throughout the pack. The race was relatively tame and looked to be in the hands of Reddick until the sixth car of Brad Keselowski broke an axle late and set up a comedy of restarts, <laughs> emphasis on comedy, and overtimes with wreck after wreck derailing what was a smooth race. Tempers flared after the finish as Reddick scooted away with the victory, holding off Kyle Busch in second and Alex Bowman in third. Kyle Busch's second, second place finish of the weekend. Chastain finished fourth after being spun out on a late restart and Byron was relegated to fifth. Chastain takes over the championship lead by 19 points and over Kyle Busch, who's second yet again. Uh, Arca East uh, was won by William Swalich, and Swalich dusted the field at five, fla five Flags Speedway this weekend, leading every lap from the pole in his Joe Gibbs Racing number 18 Toyota. Swalich is only real challenge came in the form of Luke Fenhaus, who was also making his East Series debut. Fenhaus chased down Swalich during the final 50 laps, but ultimately could not get the run he needed to make the race-winning pass. Jake Finnett, uh, excuse me, Jake Finch, son of James Finch, uh, former owner of Phoenix Racing, managed to bring home a third-place finish, and Finch's teammate Sean Hingarani came home fourth with LeVar Scott for Rev Racing rounding out the top five. And on to the Cars Tour. It was Carson Kvapel's tire strategy and speed that earned him the victory for Junior Motorsports in the Aaron's 125 at Florence Speedway this past weekend, passing Brendan Queen late to take home the victory. Uh, Queen led more laps, but it was Kvapel taking his first ever win at Florence, with Ronnie Bassett Jr. being the story of the day, coming home in third after starting 20th. And onto the Southern Modified Tour, the overall winner was Brandon Ward in a race of comers and goers. Excuse me, Ward past former NASCAR Truck Series winner Joey Coulter with seven laps to go on Saturday and drove to his first victory in the second race of the season after the last two races got postponed for weather reasons in the uh, Warrior 100 at Caraway. It was Ward's second victory in the last three races as he recorded the triumph in the 2022 Smart or Southern Modified's season finale. Coulter rebounded to finish in second position after leading 25 laps and also gained 15 positions at the finish of the event, or by the finish of the event, after starting in 17th. Finally, under the World of Outlaws, it was Buddy Kofoy taking home the victory in the Talladega Sprint Car Showdown last Friday, and the Black Ice Brawl this past Saturday went to Brad Sweet. 
oh my goodness, I got done by the end of the bed for once. And that's, uh, that's it for Flag the Flag. A lot happened this week. When we come back, it's going to be, what's up this week? It's my favorite segment to say, what's up this week? There's going to be a lot going on. So stay tuned. We're going to take a quick commercial break here on Speed Zone. And when we come right back, we're going to tell you what the heck is up this week. It's a jam-packed schedule of racing this upcoming weekend. More up next here on Speed Zone. In today's economy, it's just as common for companies to merge and go out of business as it is for workers to change jobs. As a result, retirement plans can be left behind, lost or forgotten about until it's time for workers to retire. Even in the best of circumstances, workers can have questions about or problems with their retirement plans, but not know where to turn for help. That's where Pension Help America comes in. Found online at pensionhelp.org, Pension Help America connects Americans to resources that can help them find answers to questions about their retirement plans. By guiding you through a simple series of questions, Pension Help America will put you on the path to finding the help you need. Pension Help America is a website of the Pension Rights Center, a nonprofit consumer organization dedicated to protecting and promoting the retirement security of American workers, retirees, and their families. If you have a question about your retirement plan, visit pensionhelp.org. That's pensionhelp.org. A public service message from the Pension Rights Center. And welcome back to Speed Zone here on WMUL. I'm Ben Cower, and it's time for, I just said it, it's my favorite segment of the week. What's going on? What's up this week? Uh, I, You know what? I, I probably screwed up the name of it. I don't have an official name for the segment. I just like saying it in eight, 18 different ways. But there's a lot going on this week. Let's jump right into it. Tomorrow, Thursday at 9.30 p.m. is first practice for Formula One's weekend in the land down under. That's that's right. There's going to be kangaroos. There's a lot bouncing around down there in Australia. And also now is Formula One uh, as it's racing in Australia for round three of its schedule this season. Uh, Friday has the return of the NASCAR Whelan Modified Tour as the second race of the season. Uh, the Virginia is for Lovers 150. Kicks off the weekend again at Richmond uh, for NASCAR at 6.30 p.m. on Friday. And that's not the only thing on Friday. Also, is Friday the first of two World of Outlaws races this weekend in Mesquite, Texas at Devil's Bowl Speedway for the Texas Outlaw Nationals. Friday also has numerous practice sessions with free practice practice uh, two and three for Formula One at 1 and uh, 1 a.m. and 9.25 p.m. here in the United States. Saturday is absolutely jam-packed with racing, so take your pick of what to watch or what to attend if you're going anywhere. NASCAR kicks off everything at 8 a.m. bright and early uh, with Xfinity practice at Richmond with qualifying afterwards at 8.35 Truck Series qualifying is at, at it, it it is at 11:15 a.m. in Texas. That's right. The Truck Series is in Texas this weekend for a double header with the uh, IndyCar Series, and they're qualifying again at 11:15 a.m. after Cup practice and qualifying uh, back in Richmond starting at 10 a.m. The Xfinity Series begins the NASCAR doubleheader on the day with the Toyota Care 250 for the Xfinity Series beginning at 1 p.m. And the Truck Series returning to action at Texas Motor Speedway later in the day at 4.30 p.m. 
not AM, not you know. There's some AMs going on with Formula One this week, so I just want to be. I just want to make sure. Uh, the Arca West Series also faces off at the famed Irwindale Speedway for 150 miles of short track action at 10 p.m. F1 qualifying is at 12.55 a.m. See, I wasn't lying. So if you're awake late on Friday, burn some midnight oil with some Formula One qualifying. The Smart Tour, the Southern Modifieds, also back for race three on the season at South Boston for the Flying Virginia Classic. And the World of Outlaws Tour, also back for race two of the weekend, again at the Texas Outlaw Nationals later on in the evening. Sunday hosts NASCAR, IndyCar, and Formula One. Yeah, that's right, triple header of goodness. And Formula One kicks things off with the Australian Grand Prix at 12.55 a.m., just, just near 1 a.m. Uh, IndyCar fires off from Texas Motor Speedway at noon, and the NASCAR Cup Series visits Richmond Raceway for the Toyota Owners 400 at 3.30 p.m. So it's a jam-packed Sunday. It's an even more jam-packed Saturday. And, man, is it a good weekend for racing. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, oh, we're going to touch on some spicy and some hot topics that just came out today and all throughout this past weekend right here on Speed Zone. What I say, you already know, but you don't believe. You won't accept, you don't conceive. When you're inside your car, you feel safest of all. Are you safe? Are you? Two tons of sheet metal in your hands. Two tons don't run on autopilot. You have a mission. It's no collision. Hold the phone. Don't text. You're angling to be next. Oh, you've done it before. What's the harm? Just this once, there's no alarm. Got your hands on the wheel? No big deal. Brothers and sisters, you won't see it coming. You're off the road. Your life explodes. It's not worth it. Don't do it. You only think there's nothing to it. Put it down. Hang up. Pay attention to highway action. Behind the wheel, there is no such thing as a small distraction. Join the conversation at DecideToDrive.org. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, who would rather help keep your bones strong than put them back together. Hey, if you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, with your host Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? And who is at the table today? We have a returning guest from last time. Sean Kelly is back on the show. And Dale Garrett is returned. It's a pleasure to have you guys back on the show. How are you guys feeling? It's great to be on. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me once again. All right. We got a lot to touch on tonight. There's a lot of topics, so let's jump right into it. Some news today. Hendrick Motorsports, the big penalty was the biggest penalty in the history of the sport, uh, f at least monetarily, $400,000. All four cars fined $100,000 and docked 100 points. It set everybody way back uh, on, in the Hendrick stable uh, because they were modifying parts. They got caught modifying parts, and NASCAR slapped them with a big penalty. Again, the biggest in the history of the sport monetarily. And then today, it was independently reviewed by the... Uh, by a, a appeals organization and what do you know the penalty was rescinded oh my so a little bit of context for that we'll go off of again Bob Pockris 
trusted NASCAR journalist. Uh, it was the National Motorsports Appeals Panel. And this is the panel that, I guess, it, it, it hears all the appeals of teams that are uh, appealing any penalty that NASCAR gives it. And uh, obviously, NASCAR was not happy that the penalty was rescinded for obvious reasons because Hendrick was cheating. And to quote Jeff Gluck, who also was covering it, uh, the appeals panel, it restored all of Hendrick Motorsports' points from its penalty. So all the drivers uh, that were affected got their points back that were deducted uh, from, the fe- from the penalty. And the appeals panel, here's the kicker, the appeals panel agreed that Hendrick Motorsports violated the rules but still reduced the penalty anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. And um, it's, as a... The points after the ruling, if you're wondering how this has affected everything, uh, just for context before I pass it off to my two panelists, William Byron uh, is now third in the standings. Kyle Larson is now ninth. Chase Elliott is, you know, has been out with an injury. He's 32nd. But Alex Bowman, as a result of the boost of the penalty, is now the regular season championship leader by 15 points over Ross Chastain. So good, you know, uh, good news to uh, uh, guest of the show, Travis Braden, who was on the show a few weeks ago. But uh, for everybody else, this is an uh, interesting ruling, guys. What's your take on it? Well, I know how you feel about, about it, Ben. <laughs> well, as, you as will, hey, don't insinuate anything. I, I, I know, but you've spoken before for, about For about context, Hendrick. both of both of my panelists that are uh, Hendrick Motorsports fans. And, and you've spoken I, I try to, before. I try to keep uh, fairly neutral. On my view on Hendrick. That is true. But nonetheless, my thoughts of it, easily the most interesting part of this is the appeals, uh, the appeals board saying that they agree that they, uh, that Hendrick violated the rules and still taking the points away. And going back to the penalty that colleague racing had earlier in the year where they were fined a hundred thousand dollars and suspended for a couple of cup races. And, uh, Justin Haley was, uh, find 100 points and lost 10 playoff points that penalty wasn't uh, wasn't rescinded in, a, in any way so what makes what, what makes Hendrick so special it, that's it, it, that that opens up a really interesting can of worms it, it, it's it's all just interesting and really <laughs> easily opened to conspiracy theories as well eh, I mean I well I agree but uh, Dale, what's your take on the whole thing? All right, we're going to give the most unbiased opinion possible, regardless mm-hmm. of my colleagues' comments about me, <laughs> but here we go. Um, no, it's interesting for sure. Um, I think that it's silly for them to reestablish their points and still take their money and take their crew chiefs away, which, I mean, they have buku money. You know, they're, oh, yeah. they're not hurting for money. They can afford to pay it. Like, who cares? And the crew chief thing... They basically aren't losing their crew chiefs. Their crew chiefs are just at the shop working remote. Oh, yeah. yeah it's like they're still, I mean, they're just a phone call away. Exactly. Yeah. ways to work around that. Yeah, they're, they're not fooling us. But the points thing, that is the heaviest part of this, or was, I guess, the heaviest part of this penalty, was taking those massive amount of points away from each of the teams. And like you said, it established them first, third, and ninth in the points again. That completely shakes up the whole front of the standings. Mm-hmm. And I think back to like Justin Haley and Keselowski's penalty last year that destroyed his season, mm-hmm. absolutely destroyed it. And I don't remember if he appealed that one or not. They appealed and lost. Okay. See. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> um, and like you also said, Ben, the panel is an external non-NASCAR affiliated yes. panel. So it should have been, emphasis on should have, mm-hmm. been an unbiased ruling. But I just, I think the whole thing is silly today. Plus, I mean, I'm happy, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, plus on top of that, NASCAR has already, NASCAR already set the standard last season that parts can't be modified and Mm -hmm. didn't really limit to whether, you know, the modification just provided an advantage, just that it was modified. On, it it, it just adds another layer onto just the the confusion of how things turned out the way they did. And why NASCAR's inconsistency continues. Yeah. Between that and what happened in the Xfinity series last week in Atlanta, just a lot of rulings that have a lot of gray areas and this being another one of them. I mean, it just seemed to me that NASCAR was not very happy with the ruling today for good reason. Uh, I, I think of one, one thing that bothers me the most in this whole ruling is that colleague racing specifically justin haley in the 31 car were also penalized for the same penalty and their its hearing was not today it, it will be next week and according to bob Prokris, there is a possibility that that will be with an entirely different panel which could provide an entirely different ruling than what happened today even though hendrick all four of the hendrick cars and the 31 were penalized for the same thing. They were modifying. They were modifying the louvers on the uh, on the hood. So it's the, it's the air vents. So those uh, if they were being modified by Hendrick, and Hendrick's argument essentially to NASCAR was that the parts that it was shipped did not fit because they were they're mass produced. Uh, every team is using the same parts because they're all universal, uh, and they're supplied by NASCAR now, which is a change made now with the next gen car. And sometimes they are not entirely perfect. Uh, but Hendrick's excuse to NASCAR was that they were shipped the parts they did not fit. So Hendrick ended up like shaving down the parts that they did fit, and then modified them by, you know, by choice or out of necessity is how Hendrick phrased it. Uh, Chad Knauss kind of phrased it um, in his quote regarding it, uh, and NASCAR said no. No, no. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. That was another interesting thing that I saw with with this, because I remember uh, Knauss saying that we started to have this dialogue with them not being NASCAR in early February about, about mm-hmm. the problems, and this coming up now, a month, almost two months later. And that raises another question. If you're already in dialogue with NASCAR and getting the parts, and why didn't you just get more parts shipped Instead of in, instead of you know shaving them off if that if if that if that was the case you had a month to do that it's not you know it's not spring of 2022 anymore where there was a part shortage you know this is a year later and if again exactly as you say Sean you know it's just kind of it's backwards logic to me where Hendrick is using <laughs> use the excuse of well we were shipped the parts wrong so we're just going to shave it down however however we want on four different sets though on four different yeah it was on all four and then see that's the part that's hard to believe yeah okay. uh, yeah that's a whole nother thing but it's just such backwards logic to me that to solve the the wrong that was made by the parts that were you know shipped to Hendrick and they didn't fit uh, to right the wrong with another wrong. It just doesn't add up, and it, it logically, it wasn't sound. So NASCAR slapped it with this massive penalty, 
And then today, really the weight of said penalty gets reversed. And as you said, Dale, the, the monetary fine is kind of a drop in the bucket for Hendrick. It's not the 400000 is sure it's not phenomenal getting fined half a, near half a million dollars, but you know, the, the fine is arguably the, the least effective thing for the penalty. I mean, this penalty in its original, original form essentially took Hendrick out of the regular season championship running. No question. Uh, no no question. I mean, Larson was like, heading into this week, Larson was outside the top 30 in points. He was like 32nd, and then now he's 12th. And then you have uh, Byron is now top three again, and Bowman's leading the standings. And it's like he was not, certainly not a week ago. And uh, now not only is he leading the standings, but he is leading the standings by as much as Ross Chastain was leading the standings, exiting Circuit of the Americas by nearly over half a field of points. It's like 15. So, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this Again, what do you guys, how are you guys, how's this sitting with you guys? Is this like, is this the right thing or, uh, you know, sh- what should NASCAR, Dale, touch on the point where you said that it should be an unbiased panel. Should NASCAR have its own appeals panel to handle this or is it a good thing that it's external that it's through the appeals board uh what what talk about it what's going on i think that the external board is the perfect solution for it now whether mr hendrick or whoever might have had influence on it you know that's a whole nother thing maybe he took his partners a little too literally and maybe he has an ally somewhere Mm -hmm. um but no um the the external panel is definitely the right solution so i don't see why this is an issue i mean yes if it was a nascar panel like an internal panel i could totally see this happening but as far as it being an external panel where there's supposed to be no bias whatsoever this should not have happened in the fashion that it did or if even at all the most interesting well one of the mo- more interesting parts of the panel portion of this discussion for me is is what Ben touched on with the Justin Haley ruling, and that's going to be with a completely different set of panelists. Yeah. So that adds another layer of speculation to what you said about, uh, albeit half-jokingly, about like, well, what if, you know, there was a little bit of... Uh, bias. Uh, bias, yeah. Bias on the part of between Mr. Hendrick and, and the board of uh, the people who are on the board. But... I don't know. It just all sits a little little fishy with me, especially with those facts coming in. I, uh, I'll read the NASCAR statement on the appeals panel rescinding the points penalties. Uh, we are pleased that the National Motorsports Appeals Panel agreed that Hedrick Motorsports violated the rulebook. So NASCAR is happy that it, that it accepted that Hendrick actually violated the rulebook. However, we are disappointed that the entirety of the penalty was not upheld, a points penalty is a strong deterrent that is necessary to govern the garage following rulebook violations, and we believe that it was an important part of the penalty in this case, and moving forward, we will continue to inspect and officiate the NASCAR garage at the highest level of scrutiny to ensure a fair and level playing field for our fans and the entire garage NASCAR. Uh, is, is there a possibility here that this could potentially open up a Pandora's box uh, of, with regards to modifying parts where what would it take for a team to argue that it was shipped, you know, parts that were a little out of whack and it shaved it down or modified the parts in some way and then went and, 
you know, or, or I guess a big team like a Hendrick, you know, where it that colleague ruling is really going to matter for the majority of the field, in my opinion. Where can a small team also get away with this? Where if if Hendrick scoots away without without only having to pay the monetary fine, and if Colleg gets hammered with the full points penalty, with the fine, with the potential playoff points penalty, really the whole book gets thrown at it by the same, well, but I guess the same, through the same organization, organization not necessarily the same panel members. Uh, if the small team doesn't get away with it, but the big team does, mind you, Hendrick Motorsports, one of, if not the, the most successful organization in the history of NASCAR. Uh, there's going to be some eyebrows raised no matter where you sit on this fence. Whether, are you are you thinking there's some bias? Is there no bias? Is it fair? Is it not fair? Obviously, NASCAR itself is not happy with this. So you can't, uh, maybe if you're a Hendrick fan, you're thinking, man, NASCAR really just wants to, they're just really hammering in on Hendrick. They hate Hendrick. What the heck? And then, you know, the people on the other side of the appeals board are, you know, they're making the right decision. And then, you know, on the other side of the coin, you might be like, ah, oh, Hendrick cheated. He used backwards logic to modify the parts. And then it's getting a freebie by the appeals panel. And then now it's being gifted, uh, can, you know, uh, I guess a right back into the competition for the regular season points title. Uh, again, just, in, just to say it one more time, Alex Bowman will be the points leader after this weekend. William Byron is up to third. Kyle Larson's actually higher than 12th. He's up to ninth. Again, he's up to ninth. Then Chase Elliott is still out of the running because of his injury. But all of it's back into place, just like that. So it's an instant change and a whew, a pretty big change. But that'll be enough for that topic. Let's talk about another thing. Circuit of the Americas was this past weekend, and... Oh boy, that was one heck of an event. A, a lot was going on. There was the heading into it. I mean, you had so many storylines. You had two Formula One champions in the in the field: Jordan Taylor from IMSA filling in for Chase Elliott in the nine. Uh, you had the riddance for the first time in years of cautions for stages, and it was the first really green flag run all the way through a race in years upon years. And it seemed like the race was going well up until Kislowski unluckily broke that axle late. And then, for lack of a better term, all hell broke loose. So what's your guys' take on this past weekend, uh, the past weekend's cup race at Circuit of the Americas? I feel like the one thing that will probably be forgotten with, uh, forgotten with time the one thing people are going to remember, obviously, is, is is the finish where there were three overtimes, and even in the third overtime, there was also a wreck with no caution being called. But I think one of the things that's going to be forgotten is that overall, this race had pretty good racing up front for the entire time. There were a lot of battles between William Byron and Tyler Reddick up front. Ross Chastain was up there as well. So overall, there was some good racing, but I think... In the end, what people are going to remember the most is the ending, and I guess we'll get more into that later on in the show, but that's basically my thoughts in, in a nutshell. It was playing out naturally for once, and it was really, really nice. I, um, it, was, it was fun to see it play out naturally. Uh, the stageless racing was great. That's what I'm going to call it. Stageless racing was great. Um, 
thought we were going to see an old-fashioned fuel mileage finish, and that didn't happen. So, you know. But it was nice to see no stage cautions for a change. I think also one of the... Uh, I, th- I think it also ran about as well as it could have in terms of stageless racing coming back for most of it. But I, I think in terms of Im- improving races like this, especially on the road course, it will be a matter of maneuvering how overtimes will work on road courses. And I guess we'll get into a, a little bit of this later, but I, I feel like that could be changed out of anything. But I really like how stageless racing has gone. And I think that might be the best course of action in terms of keeping fans happy with the racing and keeping the stage point system. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree. I, you know, I really enjoyed the race, uh, stageless racing, at least without cautions, I think was a massive success because a lot of the fans, myself included, really enjoyed the, how natural the race was. It felt natural. You know, it's like it wasn't the most exciting race ever, but strategy was allowed to play out. Uh, you know, sure, Tyler Reddick had the field on lockdown the majority of the day, but, you know, William Byron was up there in contention for the victory, uh, and Chastain was also up there. There was some comers and goers throughout the field. But overall, it felt like a very natural race, and without having to bunch the field up and cause a lot of unnecessary, you know, cautions and or whatnot, it felt natural, it felt good up until <laughs> the end with all the cautions. And as somebody who, I like overtime, I, I enjoy an NASCAR overtime, and I think the concept of having unlimited overtimes to end a race under green, I like that concept more than ending a race under caution during the scheduled distance. Maybe that's a take that people don't like, maybe that's a take that people do agree with, I don't know, but I do enjoy overtimes, but I what I don't enjoy is, you know, a bajillion overtimes being caused by constant wrecking by all the drivers in the field, where it was just chaos heading into turn one at Circuit of the Americas, which, if you don't know how it's designed, if you didn't watch the race, it's a hairpin corner. It's basically like the shape of a of a of a upside down V, <laughs> where it's it's a hairpin corner that is what six or seven lanes wide, guys, and everybody's trying to shoehorn in there on off a restart up a hill, and then you're under massive braking then everybody just sends it in all the way on the side if there's pavement there's going to be a car there and that doesn't always necessarily mean the cleanest racing especially didn't on sunday i loved the race i didn't like the constant overtimes at the end and the recklessness i don't think anybody did it was you know it wasn't fun to watch constant wrecking especially with so many so much international talent in the field with regards to, you know, trying to impress people like Jensen Button, Kimi Raikkonen, you know, hey, Jensen's going to be back for a couple of races, but I wonder, you have to wonder, does Kimi ever come back, you know, after how rough that the end of that race got? Uh, does Did Jordan Taylor, who was so, such a fanatic for NASCAR for so many years, he comes into this event and it's one heck of a shell shock. He just looked defeated after the end of the race and exhausted. And you have to think if these guys are going to go and, Sure, they won't do it in front of a camera, but you have to hope that they don't end up like bad-mouthing the sport of like, oh man, it was like racing with a bunch of, <laughs> it was like a rat race out there. I, it was it was just reckless and not professional. 
So you have to worry about that. One of the interesting things I saw was the not only how Jensen Button finished with running 18th in a, in a Rick, Ware, Rick Ware racing car, but also how like how he was feeling after the after the finish because not only he was battling heat stroke at the end at the end of the at the end of the race as well and he also had some comments about how how the racing was he 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 talked a little bit about the way people were breaking in in front of him and basically talking about the how chaotic especially like turn one was with in 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 circuit of the americas but it, it was interesting to see that as well, and impressive on Button's part with finishing as well as he did, not only battling heat exhaustion, but in the car that he was running in. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was a lot going on. It was impressive. It was an impressive run by Button uh, to get a top 20 in his first start. Uh, obviously, in a Rick Ware car, was ill handling all day. There was some Stuart Haas help there, but you know, it wasn't entirely. It's not like he was driving in the four car for Kevin Harvick. You know, it was. It was a little different. But overall, a solid effort for Button, and then Raikkonen was running up in the top five in some of those late restarts, and then just got bullied because he's just not <laughs> not used to some of this this kind of close quarters racing, and then doesn't quite have to handle these cars for obvious reasons. Um, even though he did solid throughout the day, and then Jordan Taylor, you know, ran really well and practice qualified well. I think he qualified P4 in the yes. nine car, which yes. was unbelievably impressive, and then just. It was like, what, lap one or two, and the nine car just got really hot under braking into, like, turn nine on the other end of the course, and then almost bowling balled into, like, four different cars and almost knocked a bunch of people out of the running and just wasn't the same after that. He just fought throughout the field. He Um, did battle back to near the top ten near the end of the race, though, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was every all the ringers really had a solid showing at Circuit of the Americas where... Taylor was fast throughout the weekend. Uh, Kimmy was up at the front near the end, albeit a little bit because of tire strategy and then and, and how the cautions fell and some of the chaos. And then Jensen wasn't really up front, but he ended up getting the best finish out of everybody, really. Um, I guess we'll hop into the next topic. So again, so much happened this weekend. And there was, uh, I mentioned at the end of the recap, but there was a lot of tempers at the end of the race because there were some drivers, obviously, with the chaos at the end of the event. Uh, there were some unhappy people. Uh, one of those people was Daniel Suarez, who, a teammate of Ross Chastain. The 99 car was running well all day, uh, you know, and got spun out on one of the last restarts, got wrecked, ended up not having the best finish, and Suarez had some pretty, pretty, I guess, uh, interesting comments over the radio as he was uh, finishing out the race. It's almost as if he was searching for someone. Hear it for yourself. Can anyone explain me what the one was trying to do there? Haven't seen it, but yeah, copy. We'll just talk about it later, man. Where's the 48 on the one? Second and fourth man. I don't know if you'll be able to get to him with all the traffic. Yeah, Suarez was not too happy. He was looking for the one car. He was looking for the 48 after some contact. And then after said contact, after the race, uh, he caught back up to the one car on pit road and the 48, and he actually ran into the one car heading into pit road exit and then ran into the rear of Alex Bowman's 48 car multiple times on pit road after the event finished. Uh, And it 
put it, a, a NASCAR official in danger. There was an official out to the left side of the onboard of the car. Uh, if you go back and look up the replay of it, uh, Suarez, it was pretty reckless at the end of the race, had some contact, again, on pit road. And then Ross Jastain was interviewed at the end of the race. This audio is going to be credit to frontstretch.com. But uh, Chastain had a pretty interesting quote at the end of the race considering Daniel Suarez. And I guess they're withstanding after Suarez had some tough words with Chastain after the end of the race and was clearly not happy with him. He's mad at me for being two rows back. Uh, it was a little overmodulated there, but what Ross Chastain said effectively is that he is always mad at me in speaking about Daniel Suarez. And again, 99, the one car, teammates, he was not happy with Chastain and how Ross drove that race on Sunday. Uh, is there trouble in paradise at arguably the perfect ideal team in NASCAR, the two-car team of Trackhouse? What's going on? What's your take on what happened this weekend with how Chastain drove and just the drama after the race with Suarez? Was he right? Was he in the wrong? Was everybody in the wrong? First of all, to uh, clear the to go over the Suarez and Bowman incident, I just see that as a really dumb move by Daniel Suarez, especially in the situation that he's in because when you look at the video not only does he bump Ross Chastain out of the way out of the way while Chastain has his window net down but then he bumps into Bowman while both are still slowing down going into pit lane so both are still at a pretty not high speed but but you know more than the normal pit road speed at what they were near the end and as you mentioned the NASCAR officials not only right in front of him seeing the incident, but if if he hits Bowman at the right angle, that could be bad for the official. And there was another official not terribly far behind the first one. But in talking about the track house drama, drama, it's interesting when you look at the stats of both Suarez and Chastain. The last win for Trackhouse in general was Suarez in Sonoma last year. June. Yeah, last June. Yeah, June. It's so been it's, nearly a year. Exactly. But with Ross Chastain, 17 top fives since 2022, and Suarez has had only seven. And mm. Suarez has been there for a year ahead of Chastain. So when you think that, think about when Trackhouse was started, basically around Daniel Suarez, you think in Suarez's position – you know, you, you got to assume, at least from the outside looking in, some might presume that there's a little bit of maybe not jealousy, but just just thinking like stepping on toes. Exactly. Like, hey, like, I've, I've, I've been here since the beginning and now all of a sudden this new guy comes in and he's outperforming me. You know, what's the deal? And after a, after a race like this, that just sets sets it over the edge, basically. But that's just that's really nothing more than speculation but it's really interesting to see when you when you see the stats in front of you as well yeah and suarez today got the fine for fifty thousand dollars i don't believe there was any points or crew chief no there okay. was the, thank you for saying that he uh, just a, a little bit ago suarez got fined fifty thousand dollars for violating uh section 4.4 of the nascar rule book where uh, 
the rule is that he can't you can't run into another car on pit road after the race it's actions detrimental and suarez obviously ran into not only the one car but also the 48 ty gibbs got the same fine last year for his shenanigans at martinsville uh so this is this has happened before but obviously nascar was not happy with what suarez did i think the penalty is justified um i personally think that he should have got some points with it. I don't know about to the degree of what Hendrick originally got. But, oh, yeah. But um, I think he should have got some points with it and maybe uh, a crew chief suspension for a race or two because there's no reason for you to be using your race car as a weapon, especially after the race and everybody's trying to get unbuckled. Everybody's tired, especially after the end of that race. Everybody just wants to get out. And I get it. You have a guy fired up and upset, but I, that's the last thing you need to do is go out there and just hit people intentionally with your car it's not going to end well just solve the conflict face to face if fists fly great if not talk it out like men you know mm. so it's just the penalty is justified i you know i think suarez had some he had a reason to be angry as a lot of the field did because to the inside it, it was for context reasons the reason why the 99 ended up at the back of the pack uh, it was off a restart heading into turn one on an overtime and the one and the 48 were to his inside behind the 99 and when I mentioned earlier that every inch of the pavement was being used there's no reason why cars should be that low on a restart heading into, into turn one at Circuit of the Americas and yet the 48 and the one were down there and just pile drove into the side of the 99 then ended up spinning it and uh, Truex I think was in front of yes. Chastain and you know or, or Suarez my bad and uh, Suarez was rather unhappy even though it's like those weren't the only two cars just barreling in there even the spotter was trying to cool him down and saying like hey you know there was like four other cars barreling in there it wasn't just the 48 and it wasn't just the one but Suarez did not care. Uh, he tracked he tracked them down at the end of the race. From the driver's seat, you don't know that. Oh yeah, <laughs> whoever hits you, you're going to be mad at. Just let me tell you. Mm-hmm. And he was told by the spotter the 48 was inside, and so was the one. And then all of a sudden he ends up around. So that's what he's thinking. Whoever the first car you see when you spin around, that's who you know who to be angry at. <laughs> Speaking from experience. <laughs> And uh, obviously, I think Suarez had the right to be angry, but how he settled it was not correct. No. I think the, I don't know if it was Justin Marks or if it was uh, his crew chief over the radio after the, at the end of the race was trying to say, let's handle this after the race, not in a car, because the 99 was flying through really the whole field on the cooldown lap to try and catch up with the one in the 48 who finished, both finished top five. The 99 did not. So he tracked down the whole track to catch up with him to run into him on pit road but uh, i don't have any issue with you know exchanging pleasantries uh at, at, on pit road after the end of a race uh there were no fists that were thrown suarez was just pretty unhappy he went over to talk to the 48 car and then he went over to talk to ross and then they shared some pretty harsh words uh obviously you heard ross wasn't too happy about it but i don't know i i agree with you sean where i think there's a you, you, you didn't specifically say jealousy, but I think there's a tinge of, of jealousy in there where, as you said, Suarez was the original guy there. He was the number one guy at, Suarez, at, at track house. He was there in year one. Uh, and then the new guy comes in after the acquisition of Chip Ganassi Racing to kind of build this organization into what it has now become. And then, you know, Suarez didn't make the Final Four last year, and Chastain did. 
He had the most top fives of anybody in the Cup Series and, last year. And, and arguably he, lights the team on fire. Yeah, and then Chastain got the first win for the organization. He didn't get the latest win, but uh, Chastain, you know, as you said, he, he was leading the points today up until, well, up until 5 p.m. today. <laughs> uh, Chastain was leading the point standings, so, and Suarez is not. And last year, too, he was the one who basically... I guess, for lack of a better term, stole the hearts of the fans in, mm-hmm. in terms of the two drivers on Trackhouse with what he did at Martinsville. When Suarez had a a, a really solid, good season, he, he had got a, got that win in Sonoma, and he still had some other top fives as well. So in, in a season that you'd, you'd normally think without uh, without Ross Chastain there, the story would be oh, Suarez Suarez had a good season. Now it's that's stolen from him as well. And going back to what was mentioned about the crew chief try uh, Suarez's crew chief trying to calm him down as well. You could also hear him saying saying to him, "Hey," in in the sort of tone of "Hey, calm down." Not mm-hmm. explicitly saying that, but saying, "Hey, I don't think you're going to catch up with him in this <laughs> traffic." Yeah, regarding the regarding the one car and the forty eight car, that was also an interesting tidbit I got, I got from that clip as well. Very rarely does that work, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just a very interesting weekend for Trackhouse, and you know, from some reliable people that I know, the dynamic at that team, I guess, adds into it. Where I mean. Travis Braden said this in the interview on this show, uh, how Hendrick operates as a team. You know, every single team is, sure, you know, they're all under one umbrella, but they're all trying to beat each other. You know, all four of these teams are not they're not working harmoniously, I guess, all the time. Uh, sometimes, if you're a crew chief on one car, you're not exactly going to share every bit of your notebook with the crew chief on your teammate car. And from what I've heard, the 99 is more apt to share its information with the one rather than the one is apt to share its information with the 99 and then you look at the performance of both cars the one is end up being better than the 99 i could tell that there's you know it's fair that there's a little bit of resentment there if that's completely true the uh and i don't know i this is an issue that needs to be solved behind closed doors if suarez has an issue with how chastain is racing and how the team is operating this is the weekend if he didn't bring it up on monday morning uh, that's a missed opportunity. He needed to have brought that up because this is the week to do that, especially after the drama. And I'm sure the last person that wanted to hear, you know, any of this drama is is Justin Marks, especially after a weekend where he had Kimi Raikkonen in the seat, and he was probably expecting that to be at least hopefully the biggest storyline of the weekend outside of a potential win. All right, so on to the next topic. There was a lot of uh, more. There was more driver drama this week at Circuit of the Americas and a car, even though it was the 2311 racing car of Tyler Reddick that ended up winning the race, it was the, uh, you know, the arguably the first car at the organization, Bubba Wallace, in the 23, that had a real short day. Uh, early on, brake failure sent the, uh, and just oil lines, I think, too, drivetrains, one of the three failed on the 23. It went barreling into the cars of Eric Jones and Kyle Larson, which <laughs> sent Kyle Larson onto a rather roller coaster ride of a day. But as soon as Bubba Wallace got out of his car and out of the care center, uh, Bubba was pretty hard on himself. We have that quote cooked up right here, right now. Give it a listen. Um, broke toe link in the rear and then oil on. Just uh, trying my hardest not to go down that slippery slope of self-doubt right here. Two weeks in a row making rookie mistakes, six years in a cup. 
need to be replaced. Woo, that's a spicy quote. Bubba Wallace saying, you know, sixth year in cup and he's still making mistakes, using his words, and he needs to be replaced. Is Bubba being too hard on himself as a driver, or really, how should 2311 and Bubba himself handle this situation? Because it's no secret that Bubba's a very emotional driver, but that's a pretty, that's a pretty, I don't know, inflammatory and or controversial comment to make, especially when Redick is the winner of the same race, and, you know, Bubba has won races for 2311. It's not that he's a, his talent's in question. It's just a very interesting comment. What's your guys' take on it? How should 2311 and Bubba handle this? There are things that you should say in front of the camera and what you shouldn't say. Bubba's PR, and has been ever since probably the inception of his career, been an absolute nightmare. He has no public <laughs> relations skills whatsoever. And, you know, sometimes that's great. Sometimes that's okay. But uh, I think that these comments here um, are purely attention-seeking in a way. And I don't think that the partners are going to like it. They're going to see the confidence, or at least maybe this is the way he wants it to appear, that the confidence, he doesn't have the confidence that he needs to have to win races, to perform. Um, And God bless his PR person because I know (laughs) they... They're in a nightmare right now, as they have been probably for a while when he says stuff like this. But I personally think that these comments are a little on the attention-seeking side. Yes, it is harsh on himself, and he is being a little rough on himself. But just as a whole, the, it, stuff doesn't need like that need to, needs to be said in front of the camera. I don't know if I would necessarily call it attention-seeking. I, I honestly talk, chalk it up to more of just... Bubba's emotions just getting to him. I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen him be hard on himself after he has an early day. I think it was, it wasn't Talladega last year. Maybe it was Las Vegas, but it, it, it was, I forget what track it was exactly, but I, but I remember seeing... We fought Larson at Vegas yeah, in the fall. Well, well, there was that, obviously, yeah. But I, my point is that this hasn't been the first time that he's gone on camera and made comments like these. Maybe not to this level, but I think it's just a combination of Bubba being, as you said, a very emotional driver, especially when he has an early day, and also with just how he's performed this season. He got a top 20 in Daytona, he ran 20th, but then next week runs 30th, 27th in Atlanta last week, and now this. I think it's just a combination of bad luck and the performance and, and frustration more than it more than anything i i think after this it'd probably be best for someone in 2311 or on his pr team to sort of sit down with him sort of this sort of in, in a similar light to how catchers and pitchers and like a pitching coach will come together after after a pitcher gets lit up for a couple runs in an inning and sort of talk them down like hey you know you're doing good everything's going to be okay that same sort of deal as where either whether it's someone in 2311 or on his pr team going hey you've won races you've won races for this team before you had a top five this season in las vegas things aren't as bad as they seem basically Mm -hmm. i i agree i i think that if there's anybody on that team that needs to have a sit-down chat with bubba it's michael jordan himself it's like I wouldn't. I, I think it would be fair if it was both like Denny and Jordan, but I, 
I want Jordan over Denny, considering, you know, Denny's the person with a podcast literally named Actions Detrimental. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, in this case, be asking him for advice on how to handle emotions, uh, but that's another story. I would have Michael Jordan sit down with Bubba and just chat through things uh, with regards to confidence, because Bubba... Uh, he's been open about how he struggled with depression and how he struggled with his emotions in the past. And now that he's at this level, I mean, he's in the level of equipment that is Tyler Reddick showed on Sunday. This is a car capable of going out and winning at any track on any weekend. And the 23 had a fast car. I mean, it had top 10 speed until something broke on the car. And then Bubba gets out of the car and says something along the lines of, oh, it's my fault. Maybe it was his fault. Uh, you know, it, it the way it was described it didn't sound like it was, but maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But Bubba's always been very hard on himself, and it's tough to manage those emotions when you know there's no secret that that Bubba is a very controversial driver in the sport for more reasons than just on the track. And uh, you know, with all that pressure on him, he f- probably feels the need to deliver, and he needs to deliver in this you know heightened situation and then especially when your teammate has been outperforming you all weekend your new teammate by the way that your team owner went out of his way to go sign and steal from another organization so there's a little bit of pressure on him uh you know bubba i'm sure it's a combination of pressure and just feeling the heat of of needing to get results in this car and so far this season those results just haven't been there and I I don't know. I I think he needs to have a chat with Jordan specifically about his confidence and about how he's handling himself as a person publicly. And it's good to wear your heart on on your sleeve sometimes, but it comes at a detriment sometimes, too. And this is one of those cases. Regarding the not-his-fault aspect of this week, it really didn't seem like it it was his fault at all. You can hear in the broadcast as well, on on the Fox broadcast, on the replay, I believe it was Kurt Busch who said on the replay... It just looked like something broke, and that's exactly what it seemed. It just dive. It just seemed like Wallace Wallace's car just dive bomb, like just straight ahead into that turn, and it really didn't seem like anything that he could have done with that at all. But I agree with you on on the on the pressure aspect of it as well for more reasons than one. Dale, you had a point too. And I, I didn't mean for my comments to come off as like degrading or demeaning. No, 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 no. Attention seeking, but. What I'm trying to say is the guy just needs to work on his public relations skills. Yeah. Because that, because all it does is create storylines like this. It's going to feed into it. Yeah. It's a, it's a poisonous cycle. Yeah. Especially when you're representing, you know, Fortune 500 companies such as, you know, McDonald's, one of the biggest companies in the entire world. You know, there's going to be a lot of corporate eyes on you at the same time as as fans eyes and media's eyes and another point to the pressure yeah and, and mcdonald's <laughs> mcdonald's has left nascar before they were in in the 90s and early 2000s with bill elliott and andy houston i believe it was after andy houston it uh, went back down to uh it was only i don't know the deal that it had with ed renzi with a 35 jason keller it was it was uh bobby hamilton jr that's it. in the 35 some 25 and 35 somebody obscure in the mid 2000s but renzi renzi was a mcdonald's franchisee so i don't know if it was like a ron divine bk Uh racing situation who knows but uh ed renzi knows (laughs) uh and probably bobby hilton jr too but either way there's a lot of eyes on bubba and i think it's no secret that 
we can only hope that he handles it better in the future because this is not the first time that this kind of these kind of comments have come out of his mouth after a disappointing finish to a race, whether it was you know coming up just short in second, or if he finished you know shotgun or caboose on the field. It seems to be a bit of a a recurring instance. And I guess just for uh, one last question on tonight's episode, just Elton Sawyer, uh, who's Senior Vice President of Competition of NASCAR, he spoke to Sirius XM NASCAR Radio today or yesterday and stated that, quote-unquote, aggressive driving has always been a part of NASCAR's DNA for 74-plus years. And to uh, paraphrase Sawyer's quote, Uh, He stated that it was essentially a combo uh, of that aggressiveness in NASCAR's DNA, the durability of the current next-gen car, and the design of the tracks that create this dilemma. Should NASCAR tone down its aggressive driving, or will this storyline dissipate by Richmond? So, I I, I mean, I agree with the durability of the car and the design of the racetracks that do, I don't want to say cause this, but certainly a factor. I mean... If if you know a bumper isn't going to break if you run into it, you're going to run into it. You're going to use it. Um, but as far as his comments saying aggressive driving's the 74 plus years DNA, whatever, that I don't I don't agree with that at all. I mean there there's there's a line between aggressive driving and just flat out disrespect. And I think a lot of what we saw at the end of the race on Sunday was just flat out disrespect. Um, aggressive driving certainly got us to this point in where we are of course it was dale earnhardt you know rattled everybody's cage during his career and that's why everybody loved him Mm -hmm. but it's 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 not a part of dna because there's there's a lot of respect that goes along with it and that's how you get respect back because i mean if you just go out there and just run into everybody we saw denny hamlin and chastain last year they you know I, I, you basically made my point as well. I was going to say almost the exact same line of there's a line between aggressive driving and at first I said dumb driving and I, I, I wouldn't classify it as dumb more than just, I guess disrespect is, 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 is a better term for it. But aggressive driving, like you said, could be classified as the whole rubbing his racing mentality. That this wasn't that. This is dive bombing into hairpin turns, turning. It's spinning out multiple cars using other cars as pads and brakes exactly <laughs> that that's they that's crossing the line of aggressive driving and yeah that the the part with the track being playing a part of it i i agree with but that's the the whole aggressive driving thing just uh, not in this case i just think it's a hypocritical comment by sawyer a, a week or two removed after finding denny hamlin for literally running into ross chastain and being aggressive uh and then the next week chastain is bowling balling into cars on the inside of the uh, of turn one and cars are running everybody's running into each other. It wasn't just Chastain, but everybody was running into each other at Circuit of the Americas, and then all of a sudden he comes out and says, oh, aggressiveness is okay now. It's uh, To touch on your Dale Earnhardt point, Dale, I think that what made Dale so special was that he was really one of the very few, if not the only guy out there running into people on a weekly basis, and he was kind of like the rooster in that. Well, the rooster's nickname is, that's Ricky Rudd, but uh, he was he was the, I guess the, the only guy out there that was really running into people and you didn't you know you didn't really he was the guy that 
if there was going to be someone who's going to not race with respect, especially on like a short track, it was more than likely going to be Dale Earnhardt. And then all of a sudden, this whole new generation of drivers that has come up, everybody wants to race like Dale Earnhardt. And then especially with the playoff system and how that's fed into this desperation format of having to win. You need to win to get into the playoffs. You know, everybody drives aggressive at every single race. And it's just been a gradual downward slope, I guess, of respect between drivers. I mean, you heard Kyle Busch, what was like one week ago? He said, nobody races with respect anymore and then all of a sudden all of a sudden circuit of the americas yeah i'm running uh and then all of a sudden all of a sudden circuit of the americas happens and everybody raced with respect right up until the end and didn't he say a similar comment this week as well yeah chastain passed and and, and he said speaking of drivers who don't race with respect, and then and then points at chastain yeah (laughs) it was uh, for context kyle bush was being he was being interviewed on pit road after the race by it wasn't television media but he was being interviewed and then ross Chastain was being interviewed by somebody right next to him, but walked up about halfway through Kyle Busch's interview. Bush pointed over at Chastain and said, you know, nobody races with respect anymore. Speak of the devil. <laughs> uh, like, you know, speak, you know, look, o- look over there. You're, you're looking right at it. It's clear that there's some tensions in the garage, but yeah, I... I disagree with the fact that aggressive driving has always been in NASCAR's DNA. I think aggression has, but I don't think aggressive, like, driving in the sense that happened this weekend. Uh, it's That's not in the sense that I, I would hope that... I, I hope that Elton Sawyer would be talking about aggression as in, like, going for a win, not making contact with people, not necessarily just running over people and then driving all over the track to try and, like, get past someone or anything. I don't know. It's There, there, uh, there were better terms that Elton Sawyer could have used. Yes. There was a million different ways that that statement probably could have been said by Elton Sawyer today. Uh, and uh, I guess that'll conclude this uh, racing roundtable. Uh, Sean Kelly, Dale Garrett, thank you guys for coming on tonight. It's a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. All right, all right. And that'll do it for tonight's episode of Speed Zone. Uh, again, I'm Ben Cower for Dale Garrett, Sean Kelly. Thank you for listening. Um, next week we'll be back at 7 p.m. Uh, again, we'll... Uh, have much more to talk about after this upcoming weekend at Richmond. There's going to be a whole lot to talk about. Until then, trade some paint, drop the hammer. Thanks for listening to Speed Zone. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.